For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Welcome to a brand new edition of Over the Line. Andrew McLean back with you yet again on this beautiful, beautiful Monday morning. Chilly here in Birmingham. September 21st, 2020. With it being a little chilly, I'm already feeling the effects getting a little rough on me. I'm about to get back to doing something I haven't done in a long time. And that's drinking coffee in the morning. You heard me right. I used to do that all the time. But I don't do it anymore. And I'm, After waking up this morning feeling like I've been hit by a train, I think I'm going to do it. I, I almost didn't even do this podcast because I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, Andrew, you are a mess. You really going to record yourself? You really going to do a podcast looking like that? Your eyes are puffy. Your voice doesn't even sound like you. Your arms are heavy. Your palms are sweaty. Mom, spaghetti. What's wrong with you? But I decided to do it anyway. Here we are because we got a lot going on. Uh, over the weekend, well, we put a podcast out Friday. Just uh, two short days ago, and uh, we were talking about the aftermath of of the death of Ruth Bader's, Bader Ginsburg, and we've had a lot transpire over the weekend, a lot. Um, first of all, uh, I've I've been silenced on Facebook, as those of you that watch the show every day or every time we put them out, y'all know that. Uh, we currently, because Facebook is a big platform for us with not just my personal page, but the over-the-line page. You know, we got a few thousand people on there. 
And so that's how we get the word out. And, and that's really, I mean, it, it's kept a, a lot of people from, from seeing our, our shows or being reminded. You know, people have to be reminded that the shows are out there. They're not going and checking every day. And half of y'all don't even know how to hit the little notification bell on YouTube to get notified when something happens. But um, let's see. I've got four hours from right now, four hours before I am officially unbanned on facebook now remember this is my personal and the over the line page now nothing was posted that violated the community guidelines on facebook they just uh they said the over the line did so they went ahead and did a preemptive strike on on my personal and banned me for three days that happened on friday and so my stint in facebook jail is over uh, in approximately four hours. So I'll see y'all in four hours, all you lovely people on social media, because I got a lot to say. I got a lot to post. I got a lot to post about my personal life. My kid won, uh, uh, his team won the football game Saturday 66 to nothing. It's the third game, the third blowout. These guys are on a roll, and now they're going into their big rival game this week. I got to put this stuff out here. What does Facebook think I'm going to do about getting uh, my friends and family the information about my 10-year-old and what's going on in his life. I can't do it without Facebook. And I don't like to rely on Facebook, but sometimes I have to in that sense. All right, let's go off the top. President Trump, he came out Monday morning swinging. First thing he did, he called Fox and Friends, Fox News Channel, their morning show, and uh, uh, gave his thoughts on what's transpired over the past two or three days. He talked about... The, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how uh, it's, it's sad. She lived a, 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 a long, amazing life, an amazing uh, career, a legal career, uh, an amazing stint on the Supreme Court, whether you agree with her or not. And, and I want to put this out there. All the things we've said about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I don't think, honestly, we've been nasty about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I, I mean, the furthest we've gone with it is we knew she was going to kick the bucket sometime soon. That was no secret. We knew we knew that was going to happen. But we've really just been talking about what's next, what's to come in the wake of the death and in, in the, the Supreme Court vacancy. Now, I'll put this out there that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, everything we know about her in her personal life, as a person, as a human being, she seemed to actually be a lovely person because the, the, the people she was the furthest away from ideology, uh, with, uh, with ideology, she seemed to be the closest with personally. For instance, Justice Scalia, they seemed to be the best of friends. Her interactions with the rest of the justice seemed so warm and genuine, and she just seemed like a good person. So I'm going to give her that. She really, really did. Not to mention, she's made comments from time to time that I thoroughly enjoyed, like the time when, when the, the National Anthem protest first started, and they asked her about Colin Kaepernick and his buddies on the San Francisco 49ers. She said, uh, these anthem protests are dumb and disrespectful. <laughs> Which, hey, the left's not talking about that. Kind of wish we would talk about that a little more during our uh, uh, our honoring of, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy, but yeah, whatever. We got bigger fish to fry. We, we're not even worried about that. It's not like they're going to talk about it anyway. Here's a little bit of Donald Trump's appearance, uh, let's see, on Fox and Friends this morning. Want to give you a taste of this, see if we can bring this to you. The lovely uh, 
Peter Ducey, Hainsley Earhart, and Brian Kilmead. I, I, I give you this. I like those guys. I know they're kind of cheese ball sometimes, but uh, I like them. Here's Donald Trump just this morning talking about everything that's transpired over the weekend. Well, she was a legend, and she represented something different than you or I or somebody else may really agree with or, uh, or like, frankly, but she was a legend. She represented... Wait a minute. This is the president of the United States. Can we get this guy a new phone? Can, I mean, is is that too much to ask? What's, what's the deal here? ...a certain philosophy, policy... Uh, certain groups of laws. She represented them very well and highly respected. She actually voted for me in a very important case. And I was shocked, if you want to know the truth, because we lost a couple of conservative votes and uh, she actually made it possible to get this uh, approved, which was rather amazing, to be honest with you. I, I don't want to hurt her reputation at all, but she did vote for me in a case that was a very important case. So that was nice. But, uh, no, she was a legendary figure. Very, very nice words from the president, if I do say so myself, honoring the life and the legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And he really said the same thing. Here's here's one thing I don't think he's getting enough credit for, and that's the fact that he came out uh, to a rally. He was approached by reporters, or I guess he approached the reporters, as he always does, because he's the most transparent president in history. And they were the one to break the news to him that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away. So on the fly, he had to give his comments to the entire world about what he thought about the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it was the most compassionate uh, a statement that, that I think anybody could have mustered on the fly like that. It was very professional, very warm. It, 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 was, it, was, it was the perfect thing to say in that situation, if you ask me. And that's what I love about this guy. Donald Trump is a fighter, and he's compassionate in one amazing orange package. You can't deny that. Now, people want to paint this picture that he's not, but, you know, well, people that actually pay attention, they realize what's going on. He then goes on to talk about filling the Supreme Court uh, seat there on the bench and what he plans to do in the coming days. Here is, uh, here is that clip from later in that interview. I have no idea how long the president was on with these guys, probably for an hour. <laughs> and I hate it for them because I know working in media how rough it is when you get somebody on the phone and, and you're stressed the whole time about taking commercial breaks. Uh, Fox and Friends, they just throw all their breaks out the window when the president's on the phone. There are actually five I'm looking at. It's down to five. And uh, we're, you know, they're all, it could be any one of them. They'll all be great. These are really top people. To get on that list, you know, I created a list. And Biden should do that, too. He's got all radical left, major radical left players. That's why. And if he puts a... Uh, centrist in somebody that really should be somebody that's uh, uh, not so far left that uh, it would be a member of the AOC plus three crowd. Uh, he will. Uh, he's got a problem if he uh, if he puts somebody on that is not going to be popular with a certain group of people. He, they will all run away from him like the plague, <laughs> like the plague. I mean, seriously, it's bothering me that, that we don't have a better phone for the president. Can we, can we do something about that? There's no, there's no sense in us 
not having a good phone for the president. So, talking about his short list, he says there's a list of about five people, and we don't know who those five people are, but from sources, from reporting, we know uh, the names of about three of those. And we know, we know that it's going to be a woman. If you watched his rally from over the weekend, he he actually asked the crowd, and, and, and more than likely, he knew what the answer to this was going to be and already had made this decision, probably even prior to Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing. He asked the crowd, would they rather have a man or a woman fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat? So he said, would you rather have a man? And you heard a little bit of cheering. He said, would you rather have a woman? And this, this crowd of tens of thousands of racist, sexist Trump supporters erupted in cheers, cheering for Donald Trump to select a female to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It was a beautiful sight, absolutely beautiful sight, but it was just funny to watch all that go down because it's like, it's the most Donald Trump thing ever. Uh, But on that short list, let me move you over here for those of you watching on YouTube. We've got three names so far from sources, from reporting, uh, that's going to be Judge Amy Coney Barrett, which is a name that's been thrown around quite a bit. I'm even leading up to this, even before the death of RBG, uh, we've got the name of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, Judge Barbara Lagoa. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Amy Amy uh, Coney Barrett is uh, from the U.S. Court of Appeals in the Seventh Circuit. Barbara Lagoa is from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eleventh Circuit. And then you've got Judge Allison Jones rushing of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. And uh, that's that's three of the... That's three of at least the five that uh, he's he's got on his list. Now, in the coming days, I, I thought about in this show, we were going to break down kind of the qualifications for each of these ladies, uh, but that would take too much of our time, and we got other things to talk about. So what we'll do is probably do that in a later show, or maybe even wait until he selects someone and then go through those qualifications. But from what I know, just on these three ladies, there's nothing wrong with them. They're all qualified. I, I think Barbara Lagoa has maybe had uh, not the uh, uh, as long of a career as a circuit court judge as some of the others, but still her qualifications fit those of any other Supreme Court justice that's either been put on the bench or nominated to be put on the bench. So that's what we've got on the replacement front for... Donald John Trump selecting his third. Think about this. We're not even. We're not even to the election yet. We're. Uh, what is this? What did I say it was September twenty first. Like a month and a half. Okay, we got a month and a half to go until election day. And Donald Trump. Donald Trump is about to select his third Supreme Court justice. Now, y'all continue to hammer me for saying Donald Trump is the greatest leader this country has ever seen. Not just in my lifetime. I'm saying ever. And he's getting to pick three Supreme Court justices. Could this have lined up any better? I mean, and we told you, for those of you that listen to me on the radio leading up to 2016, I told you 
how consequential that this 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 election, the, the 2016 election was going to be, that we could see more Supreme Court seats open than ever before, than in any administration. And guess what? Here we are, number three in the first term. And I was right. And I had conversations uh, with with numerous people. I think one of the main, one person I had a, a lengthy conversation with about that very issue leading up to 2016 was Eric Bowling, who is formerly with Fox News. Now he's with um, uh, Newsmax TV or something. We talked about that, and he's, he went as far as to say he could nominate up to four or five. And I thought, okay, well, that's, that's stretching it. But we're at three at the end of the first term. Donald Trump gets a second term. Why couldn't he nominate four or five? Crazy. Absolutely crazy. So here we are at the nominating process. Of course, once Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, as we talked about on the last podcast, the left immediately gets to politicizing it. They, they can't even uh, wish... Uh, thoughts and prayers to the Ginsburg family without making it about the seat itself. Uh, I showed you examples of Chuck Schumer, who his first tweet was, we can't fill the seat till after the election. And then an hour later, he posted how he's mourning the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Nobody buys that. Obama put out an official statement uh, in an article in Medium, and he was allegedly mourning the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but made the main focus of that article about uh, about how uh, we needed to respect her dying wish, which was don't fill the seat until after the election. What did, here's my question. Why all of a sudden is it Ruth Bader Ginsburg's decision on when the seat gets filled? Has anybody ever heard this in their life? That when a Supreme Court justice retires or passes away, that they get the opportunity to say, "You can't fill the seat till this time," or "You can only do this with my seat." You can only do. It's not. It's not, it's not Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. It's not. It's the American people's seat. We get to pick who we want to put in there. We pick the people that choose who goes in that seat. Not Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's not how that works. I would say, I wonder if Antonin Scalia, uh, um, in 2016, when, when he passed away, if he got the opportunity to, to, to say, hey, I want y'all to do this with my seat. But unfortunately, he was killed in his sleep. <clears throat> um, but the attacks have started. The, the, we knew there was going to be an epic meltdown when the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg happened. We knew it. It, it was coming. And we knew that if there was another Supreme Court pick before the election, it was going to get nasty. And we have not seen that yet. Keep that in mind. A month and a half to go, and we're not even starting, we haven't even started to see the nastiness of the left when it comes to this nomination. But we are starting to see what the plan is, what the playbook is. Nancy Pelosi on with George Stephanopoulos, this Sunday, talking about that very issue. And she starts alluding to how it may be an option to just go ahead and a month and a half before the election attempt to impeach 
the president and or Attorney General Bill Barr. Genius, right? So listen to Nancy Pelosi on ABC. Give her a little spiel on what's coming next for the Democrats. So what can you know, I created do? a list, and Biden well, should do that too. He's got all radical. Left First, we got to get the president to stop talking. If he puts a, I don't know where he's at. Let's see if we can fix him. <laughs> we were going to listen to Nancy, but uh, Donald Trump apparently he wasn't finished talking, which is okay. We'd much rather listen to the president than Nancy Pelosi. All right, back to Nancy Pelosi on with. George Stephanopoulos just yesterday morning. So what can you do then? Some have mentioned the possibility if they try to push through a nominee in a lame duck session that, that you in this, the House could move to impeach President, President Trump or Attorney General Barr as a way of stalling and preventing the Senate from acting on this nomination. Well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver that I'm not about to discuss right now. Uh, but the fact is, we have a big challenge in our country. This president has threatened to not even accept the results of the election uh, with statements that he and his henchmen have made. So uh, right now, uh, our main goal, and I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg would want that to be, would be to protect the integrity of the election as we protect the American people from the coronavirus. And that's, we, I have faith in the American people on this Sunday morning. I hope and pray we have a vaccine and that it will be soon, but it must be safe and efficacious when we do, not one day sooner, not one day later than that. But the fact is, this administration has been a total failure in protecting the health and well-being of the American people, and it has had an impact on our economy. The lives, the livelihood, and the life of our democracy are threatened by this administration. So again, uh, when people say, what can I do? You can vote, you can get out the vote, uh, and you can do so as soon as possible. Ten states, as I said, on Friday, uh, started their early voting the, the day that we lost but, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But to be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Now, at this point, she's talking about how she's leaving all options on the table. Not going to consider not impeaching the president a month and a half before the election or, or whatever. That they'll do anything. They'll pull out all the stops. They'll go as far as to, if this goes through, start packing the Supreme Court with more and more justices. Like opening more seats. This is how extreme they are. Now, all that stuff used to be just a fantasy and right-wing talking points to scare people. But guess what? They're coming true now, right? <laughs> I mean, a lot of us told you. But at this point, when, when George Stephanopoulos is a addressing Nancy Pelosi about the arrows in the quiver and, and what options she's leaving on the table... Something bizarre happens. Watch this again. Clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning. Sunday morning. What? <laughs> what in the world just happened? Nancy just glitched. She just glitched out. Somebody, somebody's got to unplug Nancy for 30 seconds and then plug her back in. Because something's going haywire. They're in the middle of a conversation. He asked her a question about the topic of, of the conversation. 
and she just stares with this with this this blank stare and says, "Good morning, good Sunday morning." <laughs> what? <laughs> I I look at Nancy like I look at Joe Biden. I I, I can't see where anybody will will take Nancy serious enough to say that she doesn't have some sort of uh, mental decline, some sort of brain deterioration or something. So, something something is going on. Y'all got to admit that. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your politics are. You've got to admit something's going haywire upstairs for Nancy. So, Democrats... Liberals, progressives all across the land. All you've heard from them for the past 48 hours is about comments from Mitch McConnell, comments from Lindsey Graham, comments from other Republicans during the nomination of Merrick Garland in the last few months of the Obama administration and how they controlled the Senate and said they would not vote to confirm Merrick Garland. They're not going to allow, in an election year, a Democrat president, Barack Obama, to push through a Supreme Court justice. They're like, here's the deal. We run the Senate. We got the Senate, and we're not allowing you to get a Supreme Court justice on the, on the, on the bench, on the Supreme Court, before the election. We're going to let the American people decide. Fair enough. Whatever. Well, here we are in 2020, faced with the same situation, and Democrats are throwing their hands up and they're saying, Well, wait a minute. Y'all said in 2016 that if it was this close to an election, that we couldn't nominate a Supreme Court justice. So we have to wait until after the election. We have to. You made the rules. Now, keep in mind, they weren't written rules. They're not in the Constitution. It's just the Republicans said, hey, we, we, we're running the Senate right now. We're the ones that have to actually confirm the guy, and we're not doing it. We're placing our bets that our guy is going to win in November, and then we'll put somebody through. So what they did. But all you hear about now is Democrats reminding people of what they said in 2016. What you're not hearing about is what Democrats themselves said in 2016. Here is Democrat nominee for President of the United States, Joe Biden, and his comments about Republicans not wanting to allow Merrick Garland, Obama's nominee, to go through before the election. So this is what Joe Biden thinks when it comes to putting through a Supreme Court nominee, trying to put through a Supreme Court nominee before an election. Joe Biden, take it away, sir. If the president consults and cooperates with the Senate or moderates his selections, then his nominees may enjoy my support, as did Justice Kennedy and Justice Souter. End of quote. 
I made it absolutely clear that I would go forward with the confirmation progress process as chairman, even a few months before presidential election. If the nominee were chosen with the advice and not merely the consent of the Senate, <clears throat> just as the Constitution requires. My consistent advice to presidents of both parties, including this president, has been that we should engage fully in the constitutional process of advice and consent. And my consistent understanding of the Constitution has been the Senate must do so as well, period. They have an obligation to do so. Because there is no vacancy after the Thomas confirmation, we can't know what the President of the Senate might have done. But here's what we do know. Every time as the ranking member or chairman of the Judiciary Committee, I was responsible for eight justices and nine total nominees of the Supreme Court. More than, I hate to say this, anyone alive. can't be that old. <laughs> Some I supported. A few I voted against. But in all that time, every nominee was greeted by committee members. Every nominee got a committee hearing. Every nominee got out of the committee even if they didn't have sufficient votes to pass within the committee, because I believe the Senate says the Senate must advise and consent. And every nominee, including Justice Kennedy in an election year, got an up and down vote. Not much of the time, not most of the time, every single solitary time. There you go. Joe Biden, every single time a seat comes open, the nominee gets a vote. Every single time. No exception, no holds barred, every single time. Joe Biden said it himself. Again, this is what you're not hearing. You're not hearing what Democrats said in 2016. It's all about what Republicans said in 2016. All oh, Republicans are hypocrites. Republicans are this. Republicans are that. It doesn't matter, cause. All deals were off when we saw how Brett Kavanaugh was treated. The, all deals were off. We're no longer looking to play nice with Democrats. We owe Democrats absolutely nothing. Nothing. Now here, here you, you've got Barack Obama himself, the guy who's nominating Merrick Garland. This is what he thinks about his nomination. If a president nominates a Supreme Court justice in, a, in an election year, that this is what the Senate should be doing. About what is supposed to happen now. 
When there is a vacancy on the Supreme Court, the President of the United States is to nominate someone. The Senate is to consider that nomination and either they disapprove of that nominee or that nominee is elevated to the Supreme Court. Historically, this has not been viewed as a question. Uh, there's no unwritten law that says that it can only be done on off years. That's not in the constitutional text. I'm amused when I hear people who claim to be strict interpreters of the Constitution suddenly reading into it a whole series of provisions that are not there. Uh, there is more than enough time for the Senate to consider in a thoughtful way the record of a nominee that I present uh, and to make a decision. We're going to find somebody who is an outstanding legal mind, somebody who cares deeply about our democracy and cares about rule of law. Uh, there's not going to be any particular position on a particular issue that uh, determines whether or not I nominate them, but I'm going to present somebody who indisputably is qualified for the seat and any fair-minded person, even somebody who disagreed with my politics, would say uh, would serve with honor and integrity on the court. Uh, now, part of the problem that we have here is, is we've almost gotten accustomed to how obstructionist the Senate's become when it comes to nominations. So in some ways, this argument is just an extension of what we've seen in the Senate generally, and not just on judicial nominees. Should we interpret your comments just now that you are likely to choose a moderate nominee? Would you consider? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, the, uh, I, I, I don't know where you found that. I, 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 <laughs> we're always told how, how much of a, a great speaker Obama was. Uh, I think we forget that that's actually not the case. Nonetheless, Barack Obama himself saying that there is no law, no unwritten law that says the Senate gets to hold off, that the Senate has a constitutional duty no matter the time or the place, no matter how close or how far away the election. The Senate has the duty to fill the Supreme Court seat. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, in their own words. And it's not just these two. These two are not along. It's almost the entire Democrat Party had this philosophy in 2016. And again, all I'm hearing about is Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, and other Senate Republicans and what they were saying in 2016. What needs to be heard is what Democrats said in 2016. The American people deserve a fully staffed court of nine. The president nominates and then the Senate advises and consents or not, but they go forward with the process. What we're seeing here, and I hope this is temporary, is a disrespect for the Constitution. The Constitution is 100% clear. The president of the United States has the right to nominate someone to be a justice of the Supreme Court. 
Senate's function is to hold hearings and to vote. The blockade on filling a naturally occurring vacancy, in my view, is harmful to the independence of the Article Three branch. You cannot keep a seat on the Supreme Court, which represents all of us. You cannot keep it vacant against the Constitution. Do pretty much everything they can to avoid acknowledging the legitimacy of our democratically elected president. The American people expect the president's nominee to be given a fair hearing and a timely vote in the Senate. Every day that goes by without a ninth justice is another day the American people's business is not getting done. I say to you, do your job. Vote for a Supreme Court nominee. Instead of just saying the blanket rule is no matter who you are, no matter what your qualifications, because you were sent by this president, we will create a unique rule for you and refuse to entertain you. One of the most important um, consequences of who is president of the United States is who sits on the United States Supreme Court. If you want to stop extremism in your party, you can start by showing the American people that you respect the President of the United States and the Constitution. The American people deserve a fully staffed court of nine. Fill the seat. Fill the seat. End of discussion. Democrats are telling you exactly what you should do. In 2016, Democrats should be listening. Or I'm sorry, 2020 Democrats should be listening to 2016 Democrats. So from here on out, when it comes to this issue, I am on board with 2016 Democrats. End of discussion. That's it. That's all we need to know. It's a wrap, cuzzy. It's a wrap. That's it for this edition of Over the Line. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click the little bell up there at the top. Up there somewhere in that area. Or maybe it's down here. I don't really know. But click it. You'll be notified as we put out new podcasts each and every weekday. Sometimes even on the weekends. You never know. They're just coming out all over the place. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a plethora of other platforms. And in four hours, four hours from now, you'll be able to see brand new posts on the Over the Line Facebook page. That's correct. We're unbanned, unsuspended, probably three hours from now. You got Andrew at Andrew McLean Who on Twitter and at Andrew McLean Who on Parlor. Make sure you hook all of those up. And outside of that, I think that's all we got. Hashtag fill the seat. Cool. And until next time, see ya, cuzzy.